Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, November 21st, 2021. It focuses on Jesus' authority. The message to all who listen is you can trust Jesus in every circumstance because his authority over every realm means you cannot be harmed apart from his allowance. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, you are awesome. It's so good to be with your people and to hear their praises and to uh, be prepared for your word by worship. To be prepared as people praise you. And God, thanks for that today. I need that every week and need to know that you're here and who you are. And thanks for the opportunity today to to bring your word to uh, your people and to myself, to listen to your spirit and trust that you're going to speak to us. God, give us your, your direction as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this past week, uh, high school basketball teams across the state of Kansas began practicing. On Monday morning, I watched for a minute or two as the boys at Skyline ran back and forth, back and forth, trying to beat the time that their coach had set for those back and forth drills. They were running, trying to beat the loud buzzer on the scoreboard because he had put the, the time on the scoreboard so you could see it while you're panicked, trying to get to the wall before time ran out and the buzzer would buzz. And if there were still runners out on the floor, guess what that meant? More. More running. So, uh, watching those workouts and hearing the clock signal, the elapsing of the final second reminded me that before long, I'm going to be sitting at the scorer's table in the gym making sure that the score and the time on the board are as correct as I can get it during contests between the Thunderbirds and their visiting rivals. I take my job operating the clock seriously. I know that if I make a mistake, it unintentionally gives an advantage to one team or the other. And so I try my best. My aim is to stop the clock immediately when the whistle blows, to buzz in substitutes at the right time so they actually get off the bench and onto the floor when they're supposed to, to credit fouls to the right player and the right team, and to add points to the board correctly because otherwise I get screamed at. <laughs> just telling you. Here's a quick question for you. In a basketball game, who has ultimate authority? Right. Despite the frantic shouting, when I give two points to the wrong team or three, it's not me. It's the referees and the person who sits next to me who has to wear a striped shirt as well. The person who's keeping the official book those are the people in charge. It's not me. I push buttons. That's all I do. I push buttons, and if they tell me to fix something, I have to fix it. So if they think that more time has elapsed than should have, they'll make me fix the clock. Or if I've got the wrong score, the person next to me will poke me in the ribs and say, hey, you gave that the wrong team, things like that, and I have to fix that. It doesn't really matter what I think. You know, I can watch the game and think, man, that foul should have been on that person. If the referee tells me, it's on number 45, that's who gets the foul. Even if 45 wasn't anywhere near the play, and I know that, it doesn't matter, the referee's the one that's in charge of that, right? 
it doesn't matter who I think violated the guy who's laying on the floor bleeding in the lane. <laughs> anyway, uh, my opinions don't matter on game day. I can hold them as tightly as I want. It doesn't change anything. I push buttons as instructed and we move on. People in black and white hold sway. Their whistles change things. Their words define what happens. My muffled mutterings make me feel better, but they don't affect the progression of play or the outcome of the contest. A related question, who has final authority in the church? God. Right, it's not me. <laughs> My slightly less muffled meanderings, I'm trying not to mumble here, on Sunday morning matter, but my words are not the end-all, be-all. There's another who is authoritative in this place. He's the one who inspired the words of the Bible. He's the one the Bible honors. He's the one who lives in each and every believer who's put their faith in Jesus. It's God. Father, Son, Spirit. He's the one who has authority in the church, and in fact, he has the authority in the world, doesn't he? So you can ignore my stumbling, stammering words. You best not, though, ignore his. What he says in the Bible and what he speaks into your heart is ultimate. Obey everything that you get from him, whether it's from the page in the Bible or when you hear him speaking to you when we're worshiping together or when I stand up to speak as best I can under his guidance. Listen to what he says. Obey what he says. Now, as we've begun this journey through the book of Mark, we've seen a few instances where Jesus' authority is hinted at as we have been reading. Immediately after Mark tells us about Jesus' baptism and subsequent temptation in the wilderness, that's in chapter 1, he records our master's first commandment with authority. Jesus, in verse 15, directs his hearers, The kingdom of God has come near, Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. That's a commandment, isn't it? Simple, straightforward, authoritative for all who heard it on that day and all who want to enter into God's kingdom today. It is to turn from sin and follow Jesus. Believe what Jesus has done. Believe in Jesus and, and the fact that he has brought freedom to us and done away with sin and rescued us from sin. Follow. That's the next commandment, and it's, this is what it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Jesus speaks the word. Simon and Andrew obey. In the next verses, James and John get the same command. They drop what they're doing and they leave their dad behind. I always wondered if their dad was not super excited about this because he's left hanging on to the nets and having to fix them. But they obeyed God, right? They followed after God. Two times in the remaining verses of chapter 1, the word authority is used to describe Jesus' words. The first time that it's used, people are amazed at his teaching because it says he taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. This is the kind of thing that I was saying about my own words earlier. I can say things, but it's what God says that matters. 
He's the one who has authority. The second time Mark speaks of authority, it's connection with Jesus and his interaction with a man in a synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit. We've read about those. We're going to move on. But just for a reminder. So there's more instances of Jesus displaying authority in chapter 1, but we're going to move on to chapter 2. There, if you recall, he forgives a crippled man and speaks to him directly in verse 5. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders immediately go berserk. Well, okay, they have muffled meanderings anyway. They, they say, who can forgive but God alone? These blaspheming. And Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he calls them out. And I'm glad that the refs never hear my muttering. Uh, he declares his authority to pardon sin with words and with a miraculous sign. He heals the guy to prove that he has the right to speak forgiveness and to offer forgiveness, to give it. There's plenty of other examples of Jesus acting and speaking with authority in Mark's earlier chapters. In fact, we read one of them last week, and I told you it fit better with this week's story. So we're going to go back and read the final paragraphs of Mark chapter 4, and then go right into chapter 5 and read all of that. Now, I asked a couple of people to read this morning, and I wasn't sure whether one of them was going to be here, so I think... We're going to let Ray read this morning. And Ray is going to come and read the scripture, uh, remembering that God can speak directly to you and you can hear what God has to say. So listen while Ray's reading and uh, make sure that you pay attention to what God may be saying to you because it may be different than what I have to say when Ray's done reading. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 at verse 35 and read on right through the end of chapter 5, okay? So... Listen to God's spirit as God's written word is read. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenus. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name in Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the men who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. 5.21 When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I would be happy that time to read the word. <clears throat> if I just touch his clothes, I would be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed from her suffering, freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, had told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, with your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the men came from the house of Jairus, 
the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this time they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You gotta love God's word, don't you? Such great stories about God's goodness and his faithfulness and how Jesus displays uh, his authority. So we're gonna start with that lake incident, the storm on the lake thing. Uh, the story starts with Jesus saying something. In verse 35, he says, let's go over to the other side. He says that before his crew embarks on this cross-sea voyage, there's no storm clouds on the horizon. As far as we can tell, nothing hints at the wild ride that's about to happen. The disciples, at least four of whom have experience on the sea. You remember we read a little bit earlier, they were fishermen, and Jesus invited them to come and be fishers of people. So they had experience on the sea. They get in the boat, they get the boat ready, and immediately they set sail. As soon as things get started, Jesus lays down to take a quick nap. That's what we would do also, right? We're ready to sleep. We're worn out. So he lays down for this nap, and he's out cold before the wind and the waves start getting wild. When the front rolls in and things get a little wacky, Jesus just keeps sleeping. You've met people who can sleep through anything? This is one of those times. You see, they're so exhausted that the rocking and the rolling of the boat doesn't wake him up, or he's so at peace that it doesn't disturb him. The disciples do not share Jesus' tranquility. They are very much distressed. They shake him to wake him. Ah! We're going to die! Okay, well, their words are actually a little bit less innocent than that. They say in verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Their fearfulness causes them to question Jesus' concern for their well-being. They mistake his sound sleep for a lack of goodness or a lack of compassion. If he cared, they reason, he'd be awake yanking on the ropes and securing the boat with them. As Jesus rubs his eyes and stretches to shake off the slumber, does he rebuke his followers? Nope, not immediately. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He tells the sea and the storm to knock it off. <laughs> Crazy, right? Who does that? I have prayed for protection during severe storms when tornadoes or damaging winds are a threat. I have never spoken directly to the wind, however. 
Not once, perhaps that reflects on a poor sense of faith, I don't know. More likely, it's just what God's given me to do, is to bring my needs to him, talk to him about them, and trust that he's going to act in the way that's best for me. Back to the story. Jesus says, and the wind and the waves obey. There is sudden calm, complete calm. With things set straight, Jesus looks around the boat at his bedraggled, wet followers and asks in all seriousness, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The implication is staggering. When Jesus said earlier that they were going to go to the other side, he was making an authoritative statement. They were going to go to the other side. They were going to make it. There was no reason to doubt in the midst of the churning chaos which followed that their safe arrival on the other shore was anything less than assured. I bet you have been fearful about a thing once or twice in your life. I know I have been. Why? The God we serve, the Savior who lives in us, has authority over the physical realm. The wind and the waves obey him without hesitation. Let that sink in. Rather than letting terror well up in your heart, let faith grow strong. He will see you through. He cares for you. Please understand, I'm not guaranteeing that you will survive every natural disaster that takes place or every possible thing that might happen in your life. I'm simply assuring you that Jesus is with you and you can rest in him in the middle of it. At the end of 2 Timothy, probably one of the last books or the letters that Paul wrote, Paul writes these words of instruction to his young son in the faith, this, this young man who is leading a church. And this is what he says, starting at verse 16. This is 2 Timothy 4. Sorry, I didn't say chapter earlier. 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 through 18. This is what Paul says. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Whatever comes your way in this life, you can trust God in it. He will either protect you here and now or he will take you home to be with him forever. You need not fear the wind or the waves. There is nothing to Jesus. He has authority over them. You can trust him when those things come. Jesus' authority, though, goes beyond just the physical realm. At the beginning of Mark chapter 5, we watch as he confronts a band of evil spirits who've held a man captive for years. His torment has been greater than any of us can imagine. And with a word, Jesus frees this tortured soul. The demons must obey him. He has authority over them. No joke, the devil and all those who fell with him hold no power over our Lord. They cannot resist him when he sends them packing. When you or a loved one are being oppressed, you can turn to Jesus. 
He is your help in the midst of spiritual battle. He will deliver no minion of hell can harm you or yours beyond what God allows. Now, popular culture presents a false narrative when it comes to dark powers. Evil spirits in the movies are given way more power and authority than they actually possess. We who belong to Jesus, who have been saved by faith, have no reason to fear what's going on in the spiritual realm. We have reason to trust. There's this passage I ran across years ago concerning this very issue. It's instructive. Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And I want you to hear what he says and learn to trust in him in this area of spiritual conflict. This area that sometimes stirs up fear in us unnecessarily. Here's what it says. Luke 12, 4 to 5 says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Can the devil throw you into hell? No. Can anybody that you meet on the street do that? Nope. No one has authority over you except God. Only God can condemn, and he has judged those who are believers as pure. He has made them righteous. You are free from the guilt and the power of sin. The enemy has no power over you. Fear not. Trust God and resist the enemy in Jesus' name. In James chapter 4, we have these words of instruction to the church, which we're part of. Those who are believers in Christ, this is James giving inspired words to the church. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 it says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Because of your faith in God, because you have submitted to his authority, you are spiritually protected. The devil has to flee when you resist him. It isn't because of some crazy voodoo magic-y trick. It's because of God's power and dominion and authority over your enemy. Rejoice in God your Savior. Thank him for this authority. He's given it to you as you submit to him. One more story. When Jesus had cast out the spirits who'd held this man in bondage for far too long, the man was back in his right mind. He went and told his family. They went back. Jesus and his disciples went back across the lake to yet another interesting scene. When he came on shore very shortly afterwards, he encountered this distraught father whose little girl was dying, and he encountered on the way to that man's house, an ailing woman whose condition had caused her great consternation and shame. Does Jesus have authority in these situations? You know he does. As Jesus is walking with the man who had summoned him to deal with his near-death daughter, power goes out from him and heals this afflicted woman who just thought, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
And his authority over sickness is demonstrated in this passing occurrence. That's why we pray for people when they're sick, right? Because we trust that Jesus can bring healing. So word comes then after this encounter with the sick woman, after that's passed, word comes to the man that his daughter has passed. And Jesus speaks directly in verse 36. And he says to the man, the synagogue ruler, he says, do not be afraid, just believe. And the man obeys and witnesses a miracle to top all miracles. Jesus, with an authoritative word, raises this man's daughter from the dead. He says, little girl, get up. And she does. Jesus has power over the one thing that we fear more than public speaking. Death. He has authority over death. Let's go back to the question that Jesus asked in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Jesus commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Jesus gives orders to spiritual forces of darkness, and they obey him. He has authority over sickness and even death. No harm can come to you except what he allows. And if any of these things overtake you, if they take your life, he will deliver you safely into his heavenly kingdom if you are a believer in Jesus. You who will live forever, fear not. The one you serve is in his very being authority. He is authority. Not just authoritative, he is in himself authority. It's part of who your Savior is. He is holy and compassionate and fearless and generous with his word, just like we've talked about in the past weeks, and he is authority. He's full of authority. He's a source of all authority. Are there circumstances in your life that are beyond your control? Most circumstances are beyond your control. You just have this feeling that I'm in control, but you're not. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, is your trust in God. Know that he cares for you. Know that his power is enough and trust him. I urge you to take all of your concerns to God as we close our time together this morning, acknowledging his authority over all things which could ever trouble you. You can ask for peace, for healing, for protection, for the life that you need from him. You can ask trusting in God's goodness and his authority over all things which threaten to undo you. Can't you? Jesus is Authority. God is authority. So we can trust him. I urge you just to take your, whatever's going on in your life to him. But we take just a few moments in silence this morning uh, to respond to God and his goodness and his mercy toward us. I invite you to do that. Just to talk to God about your trust, to talk to God about your circumstances and turn them over to him and ask him to work his best and to trust him as you turn those things over. Shall we do that? Let's do that.
God, far too often we are fearful. We lack trust in you when the storms of life come, whether they're actual physical storms or just difficulties that we face. We get fearful about disease and pain and get fearful about spiritual forces of evil and we get fearful about what other people will think and fearful about our forever home even though you've promised us that when our faith is in Jesus that we have eternal life. God, we sometimes yell, don't you care if we drown? And we know that you do care. We acknowledge that sometimes our minds get out of, out of whack and we don't trust. God, help us this week to trust you because we know that you have ultimate authority over all things that might cause harm to us and that whether they do or not is in your hands and whether they do or not forever is certainly in your hands and we can trust you because you've promised that you'll bring us safely to your heavenly home if our faith is in Jesus. God, help us to go into this week confident of your goodness, confident that you will see us through whatever comes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to invite you to hear God's word before we go today. In the same vein of thought as James gave us earlier, Peter speaks to the church in his first letter to the church. So I want you to hear God's word to you through Peter. I'm reading 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. You're going to see that this sounds a lot like James. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you with this peace as you follow him this week. And that peace that passes all understanding, that doesn't make sense sometimes in the middle of life's chaos. Encourage you to give thanks to him this week, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but to give thanks to him every day for his goodness. Amen? Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.